I'm going to take you to our text. If you have your Bibles, go to John 18. We're in 18, 1 through 14. We spent four months in chapter 17, y'all. Four months in one evening, in one room with the disciples. Now things start to unfold rather quickly. You'll feel the pace picking up. In our text this morning, it's a, it's a downward spiral. So we move from the high of that evening to the low within moments of Jesus himself being bound and arrested. John 18, beginning in verse 1, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. This is the living word of God for us today. Two weeks ago, we had our annual staff retreat, and we, were, uh, we, we spent it at Montgomery Bell State Park. Spent the night out there one night and you know, had, a, had a little bit of free time. And, and during one of our free times, a, a, a large group of us, we split up into five groups, but we, we were all on a scavenger hunt. And um, I think you guys know that Rob Sweet is a gamer. Like he's, y'all know this, he's winning, right? He and his brother have a game company, you know, online, you know, and he just loves games, whatever. So he had gone out earlier and uh, took him, he said, it took him almost two days, he said, to set up this scavenger hunt. Like we had to download software that, you know, is out there that we used to, to, to do this thing. And uh, so you would go to a certain area. There were eight areas all around Montgomery Bell State Park. And, you know, your team would go there and you need to search for all these clues in this area. And then you plug them in, et cetera, et cetera. And you find, you're looking for a certain object and you put all this stuff together. Uh, my crew came in third, which was, uh, which was okay, you know, considering, you know, I mean, some of the teams were loaded. You know, they're sprinting, they're doing all this stuff. But I think we would have done better had we not made this fatal mistake. But the first place we went to, 
it was, it was circled on the map, and you know, it circled this parking lot and this pavilion. I mean, it's like a two and a half, three acre area. And, and we got there, and it's kind of like, wait, we're looking for these little words on a little piece of tape two, in two acres, and we're kind of like, uh, let's look at trees. Let's look all, you know, you're looking all over, and it took us a while, probably 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where it was, it hit us. It, wait, 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 in, in, the, in the app, there are clues. <laughs> so read the clues, you know. <laughs> Go to the chimney and take 10 steps, etc. Game changer, right? When we said, wait, there are clues to get us where we're going. When I read this text this morning, I see this narrative that slowly goes downhill. It, 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 it's, in a sense, a tragedy unfolding in despair. Every hope and, and dream of the disciples, you read this and go, this is falling apart fast. Life can be like that. It's all going along, and then it's not, right? And we all face those times and those seasons. But I want to say on, on closer inspection, and here's how I want to teach the text this morning, I, I think John in his way, because he's so selective in what he, what he puts in his gospel account, has actually planted clues in the text itself that when we use them, look at them, and put them together, we find this is not a tragedy that goes down and ends in despair. Rather, it's God's sovereign, purposeful, providential grace at work for our good. And so while this all is happening, and, and you know, don't miss this, it's happening in the wee hours of the morning, in the darkness. Uh, we don't walk in darkness in despair, but y'all, we walk with ever deepening solid, non-disappointing hope. Now, I grabbed seven of these uh, in, in the text. There could be more, but I, I, I see these seven points as we move through this, and I'm gonna throw them up on the screen, so just know you don't have to write them down. I mean, they're gonna be up there, and they're gonna stay up there as we move through them, and then we'll put them all together uh, at the end. Here's the first one, and again, when you look at it, you go, that doesn't sound like a clue, but let me get through them. And, and combine them. The first clue is verse one. Uh, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. The first clue is we are back in a garden. We are back in a garden. John's the only gospel writer who uses the word garden you know, others say Gethsemane, <coughs> but John here just says there was a, a garden. And, and we, we're gonna pay attention to our context. Think about how John began his gospel account. He didn't begin with, there was a manger, there was a virgin, she was pregnant. No, John didn't begin there. He begins way back in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. In other words, John begins in the creation account itself to tell his story of Jesus. He begins in a garden, if you will. And so I wanna suggest it makes sense that as he concludes his account of Jesus' life, he has put us back in a garden. I want you to listen for echoes of the garden when you read, as you're reading through the whole passion account, be listening 
for those echoes. Second clue, Jesus chooses to be found. He chooses to be found. Two and three, now Judas who betrayed him also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some of the officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Do you guys have like a favorite coffee shop, maybe a, I don't know, favorite restaurant or a restaurant you go to often? And every time you're there, there's a certain person there, like not working, but like there's also another customer there. I used to get coffee up at the Brentwood uh, Starbucks probably three or four times a week. And, and uh, I would be there early in the morning. And I could tell you four out of five times, there would be these two guys that are going to be sitting in the high bar stools right next to the cash register. I never knew them, I but I knew their face. When I see them now, I know their faces. You're the two guys that sit at the bar stools at the you know. Jesus, when he's in Jerusalem, has a favorite coffee shop. He, he has a place he hangs out in Jerusalem with his disciples. The guy who's betraying him, text tells us, knows that he does this because he's been with them a ton of times. Jesus didn't want to be found. There were places he could have gone. But he goes to the very place where he knows he'll be found. If he wanted to be if he, if he wanted to be somewhere when they arrest him where the crowd would rise up and go, you're not taking him, i.e. on you know, the Palm Sunday when he comes into the city, you're not taking him, they're, they're celebrating him. He could have gone so many other places. But he goes to this secluded, quiet, out of the eye of the public, dark garden. It's a grove of, of olive trees there on the side of the Mount of Olives. He chooses to be found. Third clue, Jesus takes the initiative. He takes the initiative, verses four and five, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I'm he. Just just so that we know whose side Judas is on, (laughs) Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them, okay? Jesus is on that side. But Jesus takes the initiative. What criminal on the run steps out toward those who are coming to get them to show their face? Think about, when I think echoes of the garden, think about John's introductory, you know, introduction, the prologue in John 1, 1 to 18, speaks so much of light and darkness. Do you feel the light and darkness in this story? It just, there's light. There's, I mean, here's, here's these people coming with lanterns, right? Holding lanterns and then torches. All this light, so to speak, and they're coming into this dark garden, and here in this dark garden is the light of the world, and he steps toward them He steps toward their light that they might see him. And then he asks them, whom do you seek? It's like he's making their job easy. Fourth, he makes his identity clear and felt. Verse six, when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. There is no pronoun in the Greek. He just says, I am. 
It's the ego ami. We've been following all the way through John's gospel. Seven times in John's gospel, he has the seven, he has an I am statement. I am the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd, the resurrection, the life, the way, the truth, the life. I am the vine. But here, when he responds, there, there's no descriptor. It is just, I am. Now, when, if, if you were to ask someone, you know, a question even, and they said to you, I am, we'd, we'd be going, what, <laughs> right? But in, in our context, we know that, no, that, they know that's the, the name of God. Moses, God, who do I tell the, the Israelites has sent me? And God says, I am who I am. No question of his deity and his identity. I find it fascinating the first time he says it, they fall back. What is that? We don't know for sure. But they fell to the ground when he spoke, you all. You know, some, some of, you know, there's different ways to look at it. Some saying perhaps the, those in front were taken aback and stepped backwards tripped into the people behind them and they kind of fall like dominoes. That sounds kind of cartoonish to me. These are Roman soldiers. They don't just fall down. I find, you know, earlier teachers, scholars uh, in, you know, 1800s when, you know, they didn't have all the distractions we have and probably didn't have near the resources we have. Boy, they spent a lot of time in the text when they were studying and teaching and I think they gain insight that I, I can barely get to because I'm so dependent on commentaries, et cetera. But Scottish uh, Bible teacher, Alexander McLaren, I, I read a, a statement from him as he's moving through this passage and it just, just struck me. I go, There's, that just resonates with me. There's something there. I'll put it on the screen. McLaren writes this of their falling backward. I'm inclined to think that here, there was for a moment a little rending of the veil of his flesh and an emission of some flash of brightness that always tabernacled within him. And that was enough to prostrate with a strange awe even those rude and insensitive men. When he said, I am he, there was something that made them feel this is one before whom violence cowers abashed and in whose presence impurity has to hide its face. Jesus makes his identity clear and felt. A fifth clue, verses seven and eight, Jesus issues the commands. You know, when, we, when you read the narrative, you go, wait, here's the authorities coming to arrest the criminal. And then you read the text, you go, wait, there's the criminal commanding the authorities, seven and eight. So he asked them again, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these go. So twice, he says, whom do you seek? Twice, they, they commit themselves, they communicate, we're after you. And so Jesus 
in that can say, well, if you're after me, then let these go. Here's what I don't want you to miss in it. And, and I think the disciples missed it, you know, at this moment. They, they won't miss it later, but just like you and I miss things in the moment, on reflection we go, oh my gosh, I didn't see that. When everything in their world was falling apart before their eyes, Jesus was ensuring their safety and their care. He's looking out for them. <laughs> even as they are not, even as, even as everything's falling apart. He doesn't remove the pain and the loss and he doesn't change the circumstances, but he was acting to ensure that these events would not destroy them, would not keep them from his ultimate purpose and plan for them. It's, it's this simple truth we all know that in faith, okay, when you're following Jesus, things are not always what they appear to be. Sixth clue, Jesus' word is made equal to the scripture. Look at verse nine. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you gave me. I've lost not one. Well, wait a minute. That wasn't an Old Testament prophecy. When we read our gospel accounts, you're gonna see this often. It'll say all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Or it'll say this is taking place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. No, wait, wait a minute. This is just a word Jesus said an hour or so earlier. Jesus had said, of those you've given me, not one will, have I lost. And now John sees that word that Jesus just said on par with all the prophecies and the prophets who fulfilled the scripture when they, who, who made promises that were fulfilled by the scripture. On equal, Jesus' word, I know I'm, I'm singing to the choir when I say this, but John's reminding us. What Jesus says is the very word of God. The last clue, verses 10 and 11, Jesus drinks the cup that we deserve. This gets at the heart of the, this gets at, this gets at purpose. This gets at the reason why this is happening. Verse 10, then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, so Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? What's the cup? It is the cup of God's wrath against sin. God's judgment on sin is, is described as a cup over and over in the Old Testament, and we pick it up here in the new. I'm gonna put a quote on the screen. This is out of um, Frederick Bruner's commentary. He's quoting another scholar, J Leslie Newbigin. But he, I, I just summarized it so well, and I think this is the quickest way we can summarize it. He writes, as the psalmist and the prophets had said many times, in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. You see the references there. In the strange mercy of God, 
The cup of God's righteous wrath against the sin of the world is given into the hands not of his enemies, but of his beloved son. And his son will drink this cup down to its dregs until the moment comes when Jesus' cry of, I thirst, gives place to his, it is finished. The, The holy and just and righteous wrath of God against evil and sin all of it is a cup that must be drank. And Jesus drinks it down to the leftover that's in the bottom of the cup, the dregs, he swallows it all. Earlier, Caiaphas had said this, look at verse 14, it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it be expedient that one man should die for the people. So, so expedient just means here's the most convenient thing to do. Caiaphas is the high priest. He says it. He doesn't even realize it's high priest. He's just prophesied this. That, hey, the, 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 the most, look, the simplest solution to this problem of this rabbi who's undercutting our power, who's taking what's ours, you know, who's, who's, who's going to destroy our own position and place. The easiest thing to do is, look, there's one of him and there's a bunch of us. Let's just let the one die. Let's kill the one so the, the, the multitude of us can have what we want. I want you to listen to Paul's assessment of this, the one for the many in Romans. This is really a commentary in a sense on 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 this idea of the one for the many. I'll put it on the screen. You can see it. This is the New Living Translation. Catch the one in the one as I move through it. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners, but because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. In the garden, the one, Adam, our representative, with, with all the, how, how would I say it? With all the incentive and benefit of creation and innocence, chooses to rebel and chooses to trust themselves versus trust God's word. But in this garden, with all hell bearing down on him, this Adam, the second Adam, Jesus, chooses to trust the word of his father. In this Adam all die, in this all live. John doesn't record it, but you know from the other gospel accounts, Jesus in that garden said, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done.
on the scavenger hunt at uh, Montgomery Bell, when you found these three clues, you typed them into this app. You had to get the words in the right order. <laughs> when you get them in the right order, the app is a GPS, it's a GPS and, it, and it puts a dot where the thing you're looking for is. So you plug the three words in, play it in, boom, and it will put you uh, it will put you within 10 feet of, and Rob said this, it's amazing, it's, and it's, this is available you know, to anybody, but it'll put you within 10 feet of any place on the planet. So, you, so all of a sudden, okay, okay, we know where we're gonna find our things. So we, you know, we go to the po- podium, we go 100 degrees this way, we take 10 steps, and we know we're within 10 feet, and boom, you find what you're looking for. Take these seven clues and put them together. I want to suggest we are within 10 feet of what God is saying, and I think what John is seeking to communicate in this particular part of the passion narrative, it's not going to surprise you. It's simply this. God is in control. It may not look like it. It it may not feel like it. It may be costing you dearly, yes. But God is in control. When all this starts unraveling, it's like, you know, your true colors come out, and this is true for you and I. You and I can move through life, you know, with, and and, and most of us do, we move through life with, with a mask on, you know, and we kinda, kinda behind it is who we really are, but we're kinda projecting who we are. But boy, when life throws you a curveball. When, when, when the pressure's on, when it's like, whoa, my gosh, what just happened? Like what's happening here? You can't not show who you are. I am not throwing Peter under the bus because I am Peter. But when it all starts going to pot, he does who Peter is. He takes a dagger. It's not, it's not a sword. It's probably a shorter dagger. And he, he says you know, I, I'm going to get us out of this. And by the way, no one takes that and tries to cut someone's ear off. Like, I am going to get your ear, man. No, no. What did he do? What was he swinging at? What was he swinging at? His head. So when the all fell apart, Peter does what we do when it's falling apart. I'll take control. I got this. I want to remind you what Rob taught us last week from the final words of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Jesus' desire and our future are one and the same. Remember Rob telling us that? So Jesus' desire and our future, look, they're they're the same thing. And Jesus' desire is to bring us home. And he's doing it right here. He's bringing us home. Where Rob said it, all is well, permanently And may we say, no darkness, no darkness.
will keep him from doing that. I'm gonna leave these words up on the screen. Go to the slide with just the words themselves, the exclusion. I want you to pause a moment and let's sit with those words. And in your own darkness, in your own circumstances of life, what might God be inviting you to trust him for? How might, how might these clues be speaking to you? Not just how to see that situation, but is there a step of faith God's inviting you to take in that situation in your world right now? Same way I love the way, you know, you know Brian reminded us, hey, I want you to pray for somebody. Hey, text them. And I don't know about you, but I was kind of like, oh my gosh, I don't want to do that. You, you moved us beyond praying and said, text them. That's how we change. When we do, God's inviting us to trust him for. So take a moment with these words. What might God be inviting you to trust him to do in the dark of your own night? Let me invite you to take the Lord's table elements, please. Take the, take the, the bread, remove it from the top. Remove the top of the cup so that you have the bread and the cup. If you're a guest of ours, you're welcome to the table. It's not ours, it's Christ. So really the requirement is you've put your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you didn't get something coming in, you can step out the back and grab the elements. We're gonna hold the bread in one hand, the cup in the other. Let's stand together with these elements. I, I cannot, I can't think of a better transition in a sense from a text to the table than what we've just done. Jesus says, shall I not drink the cup? See, there's two cups in the Bible, the cup of God's wrath. And then there's a cup of God's blessing. There's the cup of death. And then there's the cup of life. And this is what we come to week by week. Lord Jesus, you walked in obedience unto death. You suffered that we might not suffer the curse of sin ultimately. You gave your body, a human body, flesh and bones. You felt the physically and emotionally separation for your body given for us Jesus we say thank you receive the bread indeed upon that cross you drank the cup of wrath to its dregs there's not a molecule left over you satisfied God's judgment against sin. You bore it in your own body. You became a curse, Paul said. And you did it for us. We remember that cost to you as we receive the the cup and we also proclaim there's coming a day when you'll set all things right, this we say with gratitude, receive the cup.
Father, thank you for your sovereign, providential grace at work for good. Jesus, thank you for your obedience unto death, that you are ruling and reigning right here in this story as they bind you and arrest you. Spirit, please help us see more clearly and trust more fully that in darkness we are not forsaken. That through deepest valleys, Jesus leads and keeps us. That yes, there are times we don't know what you are doing. As we'll sing here in a moment, we do know what you have done. Let this be our confidence and rest and our hope and our song. Amen. I want to remind you uh, that up front, we always have people to pray with you, and so please make your way down if you have a prayer request. If you have something you're grateful for and just want someone to stand with you and pray with you, we've got uh, teams down here. Email us your prayer requests. We want to know how we can be praying for you. I send you out of those doors this morning into a world where where chaos Reigns where darkness goes into every nook and cranny and fiber of life, where people uh, in darkness have no hope. And we, in Christ, are that light of hope, and we extend the hope of Christ, the only hope that does not disappoint. Because Jesus is in control, because he knows what the future holds, because he is at work to bring you safely home we can say and we can trust oh the night has been won and I shall overcome yet not I but through Christ in me amen and God bless